Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is not really bogged, just kind of waiting for a mate. That's right, I'm Scott Phillips and with me, as always, Dr. Nirban Mahanti. How are you, buddy? Good day, Captain. I'm actually pretty good. I'm glad to hear it. I'm back. You're really... Well, Two you, weeks of pre-recorded podcasts and I'm back in the chair, mate. Very excited to be back too. Just but you were never gone, really. Well, I don't know. It's been like Hotel well, California, right? You're present. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Exactly. And for those who are wondering about my opening comments, we did happen to... Meh, we got bogged. We got bogged. There was a, there was a road between Whitecliffs in Outback, New South Wales and Tilpa. A dirt road. A dirt road that apparently, I found it afterwards, was closed. Unfortunately, the sign had been moved off the road because I only saw it on the way back after we turned the car around and dug ourselves out of a massive bog that we got ourselves stuck into. So that was <laughs> that was part of my holiday. Other than that, mate, I had a great time. I had a really, really good time. Country New South Wales is massively underrated. If you get a chance, fools, get out there, whether you're in Country New South Wales or whether it's South Australia, Victoria, Northern Territory, wherever you are, and to whatever extent the COVID restrictions allow, get out there, get amongst it. It's good for those people in the bush. It's good for you too. It's good for the soul, Doc. I had a really good time. That is fantastic. Yeah, That's like great. I mean, you get out to the nature, see less yeah. traffic, see oh. social isolation one hundred and one, mate. There's no one else there. It's, it's like almost looks like you know you were doing quarantine. But it felt a bit like that from time to time. If you want to have a look at some of those photos, jump on my social media at TMF Scott P. Uh, some of the old ones that are there. If you if you're if you're not interested, then don't because you know it's a bit indulgent of me. But um, mate, some beautiful sunsets out there. Just some amazing sunrises and sunsets. Uh, camp by a river for a little bit. Camp on top of a mountain, Mount Oxley outside Burke, and had the best sunset. Almost the best sunset I've ever seen. I think Cooper Creek at South Australia beats it just. Uh, but really, really cool, mate. Had, a, had an absolute ball. But pretty excited to be back too because we've got lots on our plate, lots to talk about. Should we get going? Let's do that. Let's do it. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, mate. So I'm back. That's that's obviously the biggest news. Yeah, clearly. Uh, on the Google Doc, that's the first thing. <laughs> exactly. so, of course so, it is. So clearly it's the me. most important It's all about news. me, mate. It's all about me. Um, uh, can I tell our readers that you actually made that file as well? <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, I, I completely put myself first. So, you yeah. know. <laughs> mate, there's no point in actually being the guy who writes the file unless you actually you know, take some advantage of it from time to time. Um, well, the reason, that, I mean, well, other, than, other than pure self-indulgence, the reason I wanted to mention that is because I want to know what's happened since I've been gone. It, 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 the world was here when I got back. The market seemed okay. Uh, my portfolio was all right. Did I miss anything? Did I miss much? No, it looks like you missed nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Podcast over. Let's go home. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. <laughs> you wouldn't think we're in the middle of a, a pandemic, right? When, when, and you're right. I, I did keep half an eye on the news as I, while I was away and had a look when I got back. There really wasn't much for all of the for all of the kind of strange and unusual times we're living in. Is it is it the calm before the storm? Is it the eye of the storm? Pick your pick your meteorological metaphor as you wish. Where are we? What, what, how is the market so calm? What's actually going on? Well, well okay. So I'll, I'll say a couple of things. You know, there, there were a few trading updates, but mostly from right. small companies. Yeah. Most of them actually were, it looks like they're only putting out positive trading updates. That's, well, I don't like that. <laughs> so, you know, good results of your meeting yeah. expectations, yeah. that sort of thing. What else happened? And lots of capital raises. Capital I was going to say, I came into a couple this yeah. week. Well, <laughs> capital raises never stop, right? Because, I mean... If you can get some money, why not, right? And if you're an investment banker, mate, you got to pay for the yacht somehow. Exactly. I mean, you know, that's how you make millionaires, right? <laughs> I was talking to one of our listeners during the week, um, and this week, and we were discussing that whole idea, and I, uh, this is a massive tangent, mate, because we'll start there. Um, I still reckon, so he, a director's got a really important responsibility, and there's some really clever and smart, thoughtful directors out there. But I've got to reckon that if you're a director 
and the guy from Macquarie or some of the other big investment banks walks into your office with a with a fifty eight page power fifty eight page PowerPoint deck as to why you need to raise money. That director is outgunned and outclassed from from the start. I mean, with, with a couple of exceptions, if 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 the guy from the beginning of town comes to you and says, "Hey, you really should raise some money right now," and here's why, it's a brave director who says, "No thanks, Mister Macquarie. I know better than you. I'm not going to do it." It just the, the the opportunity to do it is there. The it's a customer asymmetric bet too, right? So let's say you do raise capital and nothing happens. You've raised a bit of capital, you're diluted, but you keep your job. You don't raise capital and in three months time, you go broke or run out of cash or you find yourself insolvent. There's a massive downside. I mean, Macquarie, and the, they must know that. If, you're, if your job is to go and find a company to raise capital for, isn't that, isn't that plan one? If you don't do anything and this goes badly, it's on you. If you do something and it's not necessary, well, no big deal. Sure, shareholders get diluted. Sure, you know, everyone gets screwed over, but you're looking after yourself. You're looking after the company. It's a pretty compelling sales pitch. Well, my only comment about that one is that uh, Macquarie is a good place to be. <laughs> it's a very good probably place is a good stock too. It's a millionaire's factory for a very good reason, well, mate. Probably is a good stock <laughs> because, you know, uh, it looks like they it's always... Work. Ha- looks like, you know, whether it is pandemic or not, <laughs> yeah, right. they always have a job, Right. There's, because, always, there's always somebody to make somewhere. Well, well, because if you look about it, think about it this way, right? When everything is good and business yep. is growing, you need capital to grow. Yeah. When business is not growing, you need capital to survive. Survive, right. <laughs> it's like, you know, heads I win, tails I win. So, yeah, maybe I'll just go and apply for a job at uh, Macquarie. Maybe now. we should buy Macquarie shares. Yeah. It is a recommendation of ours, by the way. It hasn't done spectacularly well, but it is up since we recommended it. So, happy happy about that. At least it was. Nice I checked. Um, you know what's really cool? So, just another reflection on being away, mate. I checked my portfolio. I want to say a total of about once when I was away. And it was really, the human brain is an amazing thing, right? If I know I've got Signal, I will check my phone 100 times a day. Not, not, not brokerage account, but, you know, Facebook and emails and Twitter or whatever else is going on. That's just what kind of, you know, it's, we're humans, right? We pick the phone out of the pocket, check it, put it back, check it, check it, check it. Once your kind of brain knows you've got Signal, that impulse completely disappears. It is phenomenal. Maybe it's just me, right? But I... I I, I've done, I went to Birdsville last year, had the same experience. And again, while I was away, we were kind of in and out of range. I sent a few photos where I had a chance. But once your brain knows you're out of range, it, it's like a switch. Literally, a switch just gets turned off. It is it is amazing. Anyway, good news for that was, I didn't check my portfolio almost at all. And it's a really nice way to just kind of actually not think about it because I couldn't. It's funny how when you just change your circumstances, it changes your entire approach to the way you potentially think about your portfolio. I have a holiday recommendation for you now. Oh, tell me. So you should just go on a boat. <laughs> uh, you Wait, know. Well, you know, you could take a boat. Uh, well, they'll not let you into Tasmania, right? No, not right now. Right. So, but you could take a boat and just hover around Tasmania. Hover <laughs> around Tasmania and on the sides of Tasmania, you know. Just so you can Tasmania, you Yeah, and you can blow some air towards Tasmania. <laughs> just, just, just to make the <laughs> Tasmanian <laughs> premier <laughs> go mad. Why Tasmania? Have you been there? Oh, no, I have not been okay. to Tasmania. It's you just want me to get to Tasmania? It's, it's on my... Well, it seems nearby. <laughs> and close enough, It seems yes. like, you know, a little island you can re- revolve around. Is it inappropriate island? to make a joke about the fact that I have to go through Victoria to get there? Probably a little bit too soon, right? Yeah, it's, okay. it, it, it's a sensitive topic. Okay, sorry, to, yeah. sorry Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll edit that out later. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get, let's get... I was going to say let's get back to it. Let's actually start getting back to what we should be here for. Let's start with the big macro, mate, because it's been... A heck of a week uh, for macro news. Kind of the, I th- I want to say probably my th- the thing, I, I would say the three numbers I think are most important economically. In terms of the inputs into our success, GDP by definition is gross domestic product and that's the sum total of everything that we make and do and provide and construct and whatever else, farm. Uh, and that's the economic 
growth numbers. They're the economic activity numbers that we look at. And if that's up, we're growing. If that's down, we're declining. If it's negative, um, then we're, you know, for two quarters in a row, we're in recession. But that's kind of the output, right? This week we had unemployment, we had business confidence, and we had consumer confidence. And for me, those are almost as close as we get to the inputs into some of this stuff. I mean, unemployment's arguably an output anyway. Um, but three really, really big numbers this week. Let's go through them. Business confidence was out on, I think it was Tuesday. The number is actually plus one. So in other words, we're slightly more confident than neutral. Zero is neutral. It had come up from, I think, minus 15 or minus 20 in the space of a month. That is a phenomenal turnaround, showing business was feeling much better. On the other hand, consumer confidence after being up in June was down by about the same amount in July. So up 6.3% in June, I think, from memory, mm. down 6.1% in July. So call it roughly on par with May. Mm. And unemployment went from 7.1 to 7.4, an ugly number, a number that's way too high. But as you and I remarked before we started recording this, a number that we would have given our eye teeth for six months ago, if someone had said, here's what's going to happen to the economy, and unemployment will only be 7.4%, I reckon we'd both take it. Yeah, I, I think given, given like you had a complete shutdown, this is sort of unprecedented, right? I mm. mean, even in a war, things don't completely shut down, right? Right, right. So... Uh, I mean, you could have war, famine, and things don't completely shut down. This is complete shutdown. Yeah, so, I mean, in yeah. that circumstances, seven seven point four or seven point three or whatever it is 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 a good number. Uh, one of the things, though, I will say is that this number is masked by uh, job keeper yes, is. Yeah, to a large right. extent. That's right. So, the real number might actually be like ten percent yeah, or eight yeah, percent or something yeah. like that. Who knows? Yeah. Um, again, it's not a knock on. I think it's not a knock on job keeper. I think that's a very good program. Um, yeah. It's a useful program. It's probably going to help those businesses which are sort of in you know in the borderline case uh, survive. So I think that's that's a good thing. But again, that's just to contextualize things. Um, but again, even if the number is ten percent, mm-hmm. even if the number is eight percent, if we think about it in the context of a complete shutdown, yeah. Um, this is a, is a it is an acceptable situation in that context. I think it's a very very good situation. Yeah. I, again, I, was, I, I if you'd offered me that, I would have taken it. I would have paid money to get that result in yeah. January or February this year. Yeah, like I'm um, the only reason I'm saying acceptable is really like there are one million people without jobs, right? Yes, yeah. So I mean, oh, so, yeah, it's uh, awful. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's awful for them, yeah, yeah. but. Like for any decision maker, I, I, it could have been two million. It could have been two and a half could, million. It could have been three million, yeah, right? Yeah, for all yeah. we know. So I mean, in in that, yeah, it's it's definitely good. The uh, the business conference going up is actually a net positive, right? Yeah, because I thought it was impressive. Business conference going up means the business is going to invest. It means business probably are looking to hire, which means that is a in many ways a forward indicator of job creation going forward. Yeah. And that's if even even job retention, as you say, the job keeper thing is going to stop at some point. Now, thankfully, in my I'll editorialize slightly, the government had said September that was it would always been have been a crazy outcome because you can't let you dump that many people off a welfare payment and expect to have no impact. So, literally, they're going to taper or find some way of slowly reducing it, which I think is the right thing to do. Um, but as you say, that that business confidence thing says at that point, hopefully, business will say. I know things are going to improve. We'll keep those people on, whereas they might have previously said we can't afford to keep them just in case. We better lay them off. Yeah, uh, uh, so I think that, so. I think the business conference is a forward indicator, which I which I think is, is a good thing. Right. Hopefully, it goes up again. Yes. Um, and and if that happens, then you know that basically means that people are hiring and looking to hire. And you know maybe you know maybe things will change in terms of how businesses operate. Maybe business will become more you know smarter. They will deploy people in yeah, in, right. in in more productive ways. So I mean, mm, you know, there might be some benefit that comes out of this. Hopefully, yeah. yep. um, the the consumer. Conference numbers, again, that's not very surprising in my mind, largely because, I mean, you had a complete shutdown. 
and we have so complete shutdown. There's a lot of people who were were still employed, and or and or getting payments, or and with no avenue really to spend mm-hmm. other than online. There is there's got to be a pent up demand that you know well you know if I haven't been to a restaurant in yeah right in like you know six weeks when yeah. <laughs> when the first opportunity comes you know people here's the thing right those are things people want to do. Right, yeah. so people want to go yeah. to restaurants. Yeah. People want to, you know, have a holiday. People want to. I mean, you know, right, those right, are all right. the things that people want to do. And yep. if you, if they couldn't do that, the first opportunity they're going to do it, and there was a bit of a, I would say, like you know, pent up demand, which yeah. sort of dissipates a little bit over time. Um, I, I think then the addition of, you know, the and this, you know, whether or not we're having a round two of of COVID or not is has oh, having probably an impact on people's sentiment and how people are thinking about it. That seems to be a big change. The consumer confidence numbers seem to have included the the sense that, you know, I, I think for a while the, the rising confidence of both consumers and businesses were, were a bit of that sense of, thank goodness it wasn't worse, almost like we were our response to yeah. the employment numbers. And all of a sudden now it's like, oh, hang on, there may be a, maybe a second wave here. Things actually might not be as good as we hoped. Gee, that's a bit disappointing. And again, because we do these things versus last month, but oh, it's almost by definition, yeah. right? If there was no second wave, we'd be feeling better right now. The fact there is means we're a little, more, little less certain than we might have been. Yeah, I mean, I mean, all of this thing, all of these things are relative, right? In yes, many ways, yeah, right? Yeah. Things are definitely worse if we compare them to it like a year back or two years <laughs> yeah, back. That's right. But then, if we compare them with a month back, yeah. things are better, right? So it's all, yeah, it's yeah. all, all relative. And I think in that, in in that relative context, I think you know, again, the trajectory is, is even if it's not great, it's good. So mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's a positive, and I think that's a good, you know, I'll stop there and say, you know, it's all. Also, that, that's positive. Can I, can I put you in as cautiously optimistic, or is that overstating things? Well, it's, uh, I'm, I'm cautious. Well, uh, yeah, I'll say I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm cautiously optimistic largely because I think, you know, I still believe that we'll have a vaccine, yeah. and you know, I think once we have a vaccine, things will start normalizing pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and I also think that we, it's not that we'll have one vaccine. I think we might have, you know, one vaccine come out first and there'll be another vaccine that comes out. There might be, you know, there's likely to be multiple vaccines right, that right. are successful. Do you think that, is, I, I wouldn't have expected that. I would have actually expected that once one came out, the others would drop theirs because there was no point spending more money on something. No, you think it's- no, I think, you know, because look, right now the front, uh, front line is, you know, there's this company called Moderna yeah. in the US, which has got very, very good results. Uh, from its well, very small forty-five patient trial, right. but you know, in all forty-five, yeah, yeah. they had substantial immune response. You know, four times more than a recovered COVID patient. That's pretty cool. So that is pretty pretty solid yeah, result. Yeah. Um, there is AstraZeneca with uh, with um, University of Cambridge in the UK, which has got also some positive results. Mm-hmm. A little bit, mm-hmm. f- you know, f- behind. But again, like, there's no reason I think for, and the reason I think multiple vaccines will be there yeah. is. If if AstraZeneca is successful, yep. I'm almost certain that Britain is going to require AstraZeneca to to produce first those vaccines for Britain. Right. <laughs> right? Okay, okay. Okay. So um, and there's going to be lag in in terms of you know scaling these things up, right? Yep, so yep. multiple actually successes yep. is overall good for the world yeah, because right. that would allow for you know well you know if Moderna cannot sell to Australia maybe AstraZeneca can right okay. and and um, you know if another company let's yeah, say right. CSL is successful right, maybe right. It scales up for Australia and then is able to sell to New Zealand so I think okay. I, I really think multiple vaccines will will come out interesting um, okay 
that, and I think that will be a positive outcome instead of it being like, you know, one vaccine that's available and everybody's just queuing up and then, you know, uh, who's going to get preferential treatment or not. Yeah, and it'll, right. be very, it'll be a competitive market that way. Yeah. You, you know, there'll be less fleecing going around as well, right? <laughs> I, hope so, I mean, you? if there's only one person, one company with a vaccine, yeah, right, then, you know, okay. that vaccine is now a billion dollar vaccine. Price, right? Then you yeah. name your price. <laughs> but if there are multiple vaccines, well, you can't really, you know, yeah, you still, right. I think you'd still get premium pricing, but right. you can't just name anything. That's what you're saying, okay. So, yeah, I really hope for multiple vaccines. Okay, interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that way. That's interesting. All right, mate. I reckon that's probably enough Corona news for, for for this week. I reckon. Look, hopefully things can improve. I'll I will put myself down as cautiously optimistic. I think um, I'm just that way by nature anyway. But I, I'm actually, well, I want to ask one more question about the vaccines, mate. So there's never, ever, 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 ever been a vaccine for any coronavirus ever. So coronavirus is a, a class of viruses. Are probably a scientific word that's not class, but for that for my purposes, for the layman's perspective. Are you really confident that somehow this time we'll have a first in this area? We've never been able to do it before. Am I really confident? No. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, I'm, I, I'm hopeful because okay. the results that we have seen, at least the Moderna results, or at least what has been published, yeah. seem really positive. Okay. Um, what you know, like what we know is that what it what the result has shown is that there is a very strong response uh, to that mm-hmm. vaccine. Now, whether or not the the virus mutates and therefore yeah. you need something else, yeah, a bit like the flu, but the annual flu virus. Yeah, yeah but okay. but but that might even that is okay. Like if yeah, it, right. if, if if it if it mutates next season, yeah. we can we can have like like the flu vaccine. We just produce yeah. a, n- another variant, right, yeah, yeah. for next season. But you know, uh, yeah, how sense. long does the response stay with the current vaccine? Yeah, so, yeah, you know? yeah. so I mean, that's what the longer trials are probably going to show. Fingers crossed. All right, let's move on, mate. So that's the bad news, or maybe the not great news, or maybe the better news than it could have been, whichever way I want to look at that. One thing that's had unvarnished great news is the whole buy now, pay later segment over the last month or so. I can't, I mean, I've been away for two weeks, so I can't, I, I can't quite easily put my mind on my finger on the exact timeframes. But these guys are just going nuts. The shares of Afterpay were about seventy bucks not long ago. Um, Zip has gone through the roof. Uh, is it, was it open pay? Was that one out with a good new, bit of news this week? Um, uh, Cecil's doing well. I mean, it's you, <laughs> you can't you can't help but make money if you're a, if you're a buy now pay later shareholder. How much of this is real? Uh, how much of this is there's no other place to be? You know, kind of in, in a world where physical retail and, and and other businesses are struggling, all the money's flooding here. What to what do is this just optimism and and is it maybe the millennials jumping into investing? And what component of this is genuinely underlying good news for these businesses? So uh, I'll dissociate the the share price action because you are first. Like I'll, I'll remove the share price action okay. from um, what's going on in the buy now pay later segment. Okay. So one way to think about what's happening is if you just look at what what has the news flow out of Afterpay. Yeah. I think is interesting because. In Afterpay has got relationships now with Visa. It's got relationships with Mastercard. It's um, you know it's available widely in various online sites. You know things like right. eBay, Officeworks, whatever you talk about. Yep. You know has so they've they've become a choice payment choice, a widely available payment choice, um, very very quickly. Right? I mean it's yeah. it's a huge Australian success. Oh, I phenomenal. mean phenomenal. Such a good story. And, and, yeah. You know, and I, I you know I've come around to like. What I, what I really like saying about Afterpay is that I think it is an example of dreaming big yep. and executing on that big dream. Uh, and it's really phenomenal on, on, on from that point of view. But nice, nice. here's the news that came out this week. They've got both Apple Pay and Google Pay to sign up. 
to them. Now they, you know, the, the the exact details are not known. They're going to lose some payment, <laughs> yeah, will, yeah, a right. little bit of margin to those someone. guys. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. just so I want to put this into context, right? Yeah. Think about when was the last time the the world's biggest company, Apple, yeah, coming to table and saying, "I'm going to partner with an Australian company, small yeah, right. Australian company." Right, right, right. Has it ever happened? Yeah. Right, and and I think when that happens, that really, in my mind, means legitimacy. It means yeah. that Apple Pay is saying, "This is a legitimate form of payment that people yeah, want right. to use, right. and we therefore have to support it." Yeah, okay. And so, in my mind, that's a huge win. Is it? So let, let me break. The, is it actually a big enough deal? So at a, at a real fundamental business level, does it really move the dial, or is it more a sense of something that gives you comfort to say? These guys obviously are a meaningful player. They're here to stay. I mean, you know, is that, I don't imagine Apple's going to drive that much volume to them in the next few years. I mean, again, Apple, Google Pay, the, others, the other online digital wallets might be the only way we pay in 50 years' time. Right now, I don't imagine, compared to Visa and everything else, Apple Pay, Google Pay, I can't imagine they're dial movers for the actual underlying business itself. I feel like it's more a sense of legitimacy for both the business, the consumers, the investors to say, we're real, we're here, the big guys like us, they want to do business with us, we've arrived, rather than rather than genuinely the, the, the revenue flow from this is going to be meaningful. Yeah, so I would take a half and half view on that. Okay. Half and half view in the sense that, um, so I wouldn't talk about Google because, you know, Google is Google. Um, dear, oh dear. Uh, but I, thought, I was hoping I'd come back and you'd have changed. Yeah. But, I was hoping you were going to be but, more but, reasonable. But, uh, but uh, you know, I have, I, have, I have good confidence about talking about Apple. So I'll say this. <laughs> Apple, would, uh, Apple, Apple philosophically would do two things. Right. It would do something that would support its, con- its consumers yeah, yeah. or its users, yeah. and it would do pretty much anything that makes it easy for its consumer base yeah, right. or its user base. Yeah. So in a way, one way to view as uh, support for uh, Afterpay being integrated into Apple Pay is my customers want to use this and therefore I should support it and make it easy for my users, right? right? That's a huge tick in my box. That's number one. Number two is Apple is a very, you know, like, you know, Tim Cook runs the ship as if like, you know, he's thinking five years out and, you know, he's thinking how am I going to, you know, grow my services revenue and things like that. So if there was no revenue angle, Potentially, yep. it should not be that high high up a deal for okay. them, right? Yep. So there's got to be some there's got to be some consumer satisfaction reason. Consumer satisfaction is a direct function of the number of people using. If only a few people were using this thing, yeah. then it would not be of, of interest. Yeah, to totally, them, that's right. Right. There's got to be some and some, and, some and, and there's got to be some business reason behind them. So I, so I think it it is a reflective of trends, yeah. changes yeah. in payment payment modalities and these guys are very good in in sort of you know these guys have the data and yeah, they right. see the data flow and yeah. then they're they're basically saying well you know we want to be on this so i think it's a vote of confidence it's a it's a big vote of confidence right. in my mind it's like a huge vote of confidence okay. and, and and you know full marks to the afterpay team uh, as i said like who else yeah. has done that sort yeah, of thing yeah, right, right? Right, right i mean if, for a you know s- small company Relatives, you know, yeah, those yeah, guys yeah, are trillions yeah. of dollars, right? Especially, yeah, yeah, yeah. years ago. Which come yeah. in? Nobody yeah. has done yeah. that. So yeah. I think in my in my books, that's a huge word of confidence. It also means yeah. that you know they're they're they were they're forward thinking, batting in that they're batting uh, on the front foot. Yeah, right. Uh, they're attacking, and um, yeah, I, I think again, it's not going to drive a huge volume of transactions right yeah, now, but yeah. it's going to help with the growth of transactions awesome. over time. So yeah. Mm, I like it. I think so. Now, now the, the second question is: Is the share price divorced from uh, all of this? There's a bit of 
whenever the, whenever share price goes up substantial like that i think there is a there's definitely a bit, you know momentum driving things right, yeah, right. um that that is a fact that said i mean um the if this company is going to succeed mm. it shares prices worth going to be worth a lot more in the future than yeah, it is right, today right. right and the path to that maybe via several dips right yeah okay um which so, makes sense right which yeah so i've been mean, a lot of success is baked in right now but again success could also mean that this company is substantially larger so i mean that's mm-hmm. with, with afterpay the way i i think about it is that you know a lot of different outcomes are possible um maybe this is the way a lot of people transact in the future yeah, right. that, you know people don't have credit cards and people basically have you know yeah. um scheduled payments over yeah, a period of yeah, time yeah. so the, the the last point is the interesting one for me mate do you have a view so uh, is this a winner takes all market? Is it, is it a couple of winners take most markets? So, Afterpay's done well, signed a good deal. To your point, that's absolutely true. That being said, it's not just Afterpay that's doing well share price wise and to some degree even business wise. Now, the others are growing off much lower bases, but the uptake of buying and up payload solutions as a category continue to grow meaningfully. Again, Afterpay is absolutely the, the big granddaddy of them all, but across the board, we're seeing really strong uptake. You know, does 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 Apple give Afterpay the chance to be the dominant player, or is it just a recognition that, as you say, the scheduled payments market, almost if we want to call it that, you know, when it when it becomes much larger, how how do you separate just in your own thinking the category from the company? Yeah, so so I think one of the things is, is this going to be a a duopoly, an oligopoly, or yeah. you know? Um, or is it just a winners take take all type of you know there is a number one leader with like seventy percent share, right, right. number two with fifteen, and then there are all these others. That that I think is still shaking out. Okay. Um, in my mind, Afterpay is clearly well ahead of the pack. Okay. Now the question is how much further ahead can it get? Yeah. And the I mean the other thing that we have to realize here is that there is absolutely a potential that some some big um, payments company yeah. just decides to acquire one of the other players and become a big yeah, right. uh, a big participant, right? And that would change dynamics or acquire maybe Afterpay if if they, you know, feel mm. that this is what they need to... So, that, I mean, there is, there's, a, there's a lot... Yeah, there's a shortcut. There's yeah. a lot of things that can happen. Again, the f- you know, future by definition is always uncertain <laughs> yeah. and unknown. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I mean... You know, there is a number one player, there is a number two player, and there's a big gap between a number one and number two. But it's like you know, the race has just kind of begun in my in my mind. If you know, running a marathon, uh, you know, this is just the first couple hundred, <laughs> me- uh, hundred meters that has happened, and anything can happen. Yeah, is convince me that this is not just proof of concept that that in some future time. Every bank and every credit card company offers this as a feature. And so one of my favorite lines, I'm I'm sure I stole it from somewhere, but I've never been able to find it again. The idea that when your product becomes someone else's feature, you're in trouble. You know, the digital camera became part of the phone. And so there's a whole lot less digital cameras sold these days because the phone does it. No one buys a Walkman anymore because it's on the phone. You know, when your product becomes someone else's feature, the business can evaporate really, really quickly. Is this not? Is this not? Uh, to your point, to your very point, don't payment providers writ large, with their banks or credit card companies or something else, just simply say, "Hey, let's cut out the middleman. Let's just every Visa transaction now is payable in four installments." Or my my my, my savings account with my my local bank, I can just you know, they'll, they'll automatically split 
any bill I get and pay it over four installments to keep me as a, as a customer. Do you worry about that? Is that part of the, the concern? You know, it just strikes me that if I was if I was a bank, and there's some cost, of course, of doing that because there is you know a delay in payment that you get, but it's a reasonably cheap credit if you're talking about small amounts of money. They have better credit histories and understanding of customers and theory than the, than the payment providers themselves. I don't know. I, I can't imagine. I, in my version of the future, I think every bank, every credit card company, every payment provider, PayPal, pick you, pick you, whoever it is, does this almost Apple Pay itself does this as standard. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Again, I mean, the the problem I think I have is the payments space, yeah. and the payments technology overall. is It's a very complicated space, right? <laughs> really I mean, is. if I had to abstract, I would say that Visa and Mastercard and American Express and some of the others. Yeah. You know, so like if I look at Visa and Mastercard, I look at them as basically a payments highway. Yeah. Right. So they basically provide uh, a means by which they connect um, uh, points of sale right. to the banks. Right. Right. And but they don't provide credit. Yeah. Right. So then I think it becomes hard for them. So they basically take a cut of saying, okay, you know, I'm providing this and I'm going to take a cut off yeah. of that payment. It's a t- toll road of sorts. It's a toll road of sorts, right? Yeah. So so now I think it becomes hard for those guys to roll out a buy now, pay later. Yes. The only person who could, for Visa and MasterCard, is the respective banks yes. who are using those logos. Those guys could probably facilitate something. You could have a, a buy now, pay later by Visa where the bank signed on to that particular program, for example. I can imagine Visa enabling it, but as you say, they can't provide it themselves because they don't hold the credit. Yeah. So, so I mean, they could have a buy now, pay later Visa logo right. and, and basically right. say, well, then if this happens, yeah. I'm going to just take a larger cut at the POS uh, right. payment right. terminal, a uh, point of sale. And if I do that, then I'll pass on some of that to the bank, right? right. Um, so I've, I've noticed something that's been happening. So I've got an American Express from American Express, not from, and American yeah, Express okay. is, a, is an interesting player because it provides both a payment network and also provides credit, yes. right? So I have a credit card from American Express, which means, it is not from the big four or any of the banks. It's from American Express. Yep. Uh, you know, when I when I looked went into the account, uh, something popped up and it said, uh, y- "Now they're offering uh, a six monthly payment a scheduled payment plan, right, for a fee." Okay, so and that's that's not new purchase, is it? That's the current balance, or is it all purchases? You, Anything that you purchase, yeah. basically, whatever. You know, again, I'm abstracting it here. Basically, you can pay your balance off in. Six months, or right. your purchase, or your total aggregate over right. a period of six months, okay. and there's no interest on that except for a monthly fee. So it's basically buy now, pay later, but you pay rather than the retailer pays. Yeah. Okay. Right. So now I think I think that model is harder to are you do. Should take it up just as a consumer, not just just by way of did it, did it kind of grab you and like, hey, I might do that. Well, Why but I? no, because I okay. mean, you know, because I have to pay, right? I mean, yeah. right? If if it was so, I think where the interest, where the option for somebody like American Express might be. American Express, anyways, charges a higher fee at at the point of sale, yeah, right? Yeah. They could, they could actually, they are, they're really the players that could have gone to the retailer and said, "Well, yeah. we could enable, um, you know, we could offer customers right, this, right, right, yeah, yeah. and we would yeah. be offering customers this this option, and yeah, they're just going to yeah. charge you a little bit more for yeah, that." Okay. So, I mean, but I think it's the friction of how you do it, and that's yeah. why it seems like it's a layered technology on top uh, instead of it being integrated. Yeah, right. With respect to the banks doing it, I mean. I think the main issue might again be um, scale, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, the only ones again which have the scale would be those those payments guys, yeah, okay. Visa, Mastercard, and so on. And then there's the question of who's going to take the risk. Um, 
you know, again, you know, if Visa and MasterCard won't roll out a program by now, pay later, which is yeah. going to be actually supported by the banks, the banks have to also see, well, what is there for the banks there in that process, right? Yeah, yeah. I, you know what's interesting, Matt? I have a feeling too, this is uh, it, it's a function of capitalism to some degree. I actually think after it was able to be successful, others weren't because it kind of, and I don't want to be careful in that language here, but it, it, it chose not to apply the industry rules to itself for a very specific reason. That is, they, they weren't, charging interest so therefore they believe and thus far they've been proven correct legally to not fall under the credit code and i imagine a little bit like uber right if, if cab charge had started try, try to create an uber solution they almost certainly wouldn't have been allowed to government wouldn't have let them do it if visa tried to charge this you know no fee no interest thing and pretend it wasn't under the credit code i dare say someone around the world somewhere would have said no nah, you guys can't do that your visa sometimes being the innovator disruptor and kind of I want to be very, again, very careful. Choosing which rules you are covered by or not. I mean, Uber was literally illegal in most jurisdictions that operated for the first X months and years of its operation, right? It was just, it was small enough, then it was cool enough, then it was had enough momentum that lawmakers weren't prepared to do anything about it. After they kind of felt, had, had a similar, and some of the other buy now pay laters have a similar kind of approach, right? They get to be different in a way that's much harder for the banks to have a separate section where they say this this part of commonwealth bank you know royal commission everything else we're not gonna have a know your customer thing for this one we're not gonna have a credit check for this one this is a very different part of the operation or visa similarly if visa started to have an operation where it was like well, well yeah the other credit cards are over here but this is different i don't think the regulator would have let them i think i think to some degree that gave afterpay a bit of a an opening to kind of charge straight through and they've done it incredibly well yeah, I think that's just true. I mean, you know, it's innovation um, in business model and, you know, maybe um, uh, finding loopholes in existing r- regulatory frameworks. Yeah. Um, I mean, Airbnb is another example, yes, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, right. Um, that has enabled... Sometimes you don't need technology to drive the innovation, right? Yeah. It could just be a business model innovation. True, true. Um, but I, don't know, I, just, I think in those circumstances, though, I can't see the, the incumbents being allowed yeah. to... I, you know, if Hilton had decided to do an Airbnb style thing, someone at some point would have said, you can't do that, you're Hilton, you, you guys can't do that. But yeah. Airbnb kind of gets away with it because it starts small and it's almost by the time it's big enough, everyone goes, oh, where do they come from? And now they're too big to do anything about. Yeah, and the other factor is that for for the incumbent, the risk of taking on something like this, like, I mean, yeah. you know, like Commonwealth Bank, for example, just yeah. to use a nickname, uh, could have said, we're going to do this. Yeah. And they would not have run foul with any rules, right? Yeah. Because... I mean, nobody's following any rules here. You know, like the regulator would lead on them and said, "Gosh, you can't do this." No, but but the but but the but the board yeah. would probably find this uh, to be very risky. Yeah, right. Right. This would be and too much risk right for there, like, you know, too much risk yeah. for the board. <laughs> yeah. um, a lot of these things can't be done by the incumbents largely because again, right. it will be deemed too risky. You know, what would happen to our reputation? Right, right, right. We'd get sued. You know, and a scrappy upstart has well. You know, what's going to happen? They're going to sue us. Well, we have no money. Yeah, yeah, Come yeah. sue us, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's right. Um, there's no downside, right? Go yeah, for it. Yeah, there's yeah. no downside, and then yeah. and then there comes a point at which well, you can't sue them, right? Right. Because they have real customers. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's like suing them basically means like suing your cu- suing customers. Right, and basically, right. you know, you're going to make uh, Shane and Uber has got a got a meaningful, you know, yeah. pushback from customers who are saying, "Hang on, I like the service. I like the service. It might be illegal, but I want to keep using it." Please. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, it might be illegal, but I don't want to use taxi. I want to right, use Uber. Right, right. And and the same thing with Airbnb. You know, I don't want to use the hotel. I want to use the Airbnb. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think then there comes a point where the consumer is basically making the decisions, and after yeah. all, rules and regulations are there to protect 
affect uh, you know people, citizens, Politics consumers, funny thing, and yeah. So <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I think you rightly put it right. I mean, this is uh, capitalism at its best, yeah, basically right, capitalism right. making. Yeah, yeah. You, you I don't put asterisk on best only because I kind of think if, you, if you're breaking rules, then there's there's something probably not quite 100 percent right about the whole concept. Yeah, but uh, but sometimes you maybe break the rules to make things better, right? I mean, you know, breaking the rules, uh, it's it's. But <laughs> here's the thing, right? The, you can break the rule. Yeah. Without actually be doing something illegal, so they, I mean, if if they had done something illegal, yeah. then they would be in trouble, which they, you know, clearly. Oh, yeah, are, it was so after to to be really really clear, after has not broken any rules, that and the exactly. inquiry has found that right. Yeah. I think more just I, I'm more thinking about the broad concept of, you know, Uber Uber broke the law fundamentally continually, yeah, and and blatantly for for literally years, yeah, before the government's caught up with them. Right, I I, you know, put it this way. If if I broke into people's houses for a year and a half, someone would probably knock on the door. I couldn't say, yeah, but but I'm you know my, my family like it. It's, it's okay. It's good. I'm, I'm pretty sure the coppers wouldn't say if I if I put the Uber defence up. I'm not Uber. Leave me alone. I, I think I'd, I think I'd struggle with that one in court. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So buy now, pay later. Here to stay. Is yeah. Afterpay the winner? Well. Uh, uh, so uh, you're putting me in a spot here. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, I'm not uh, intending to. So, well, I can't, well, but well, not, not to make you uncomfortable. Just yeah, to, but I mean, no, 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 no. I'm not uncomfortable. I'm, 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 this is what I would say. I think they are the leader right now. They yeah. are executing really well, and so there's to lose. Well, I think you know more likely than not they're going to stay. Yeah, whether or not they're going to be the winner. Yeah. Or is it like a duopoly? Or right, is it okay, like yes, a, okay, yeah, I don't yeah. know the answer for that yeah, yet. Yeah. But I do feel that, um, and I do think that they are going to be bigger business than they are today. You know, the odds seem to be in favor of that. Now, of course, as I've always said, this is a very high risk because you know something else can happen, as you said. Right, you right, know, right. Mastercard could decide to do something. You know, Amex could decide to do something. You know, I don't know. PayPal could decide yeah, to do something. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, again, we don't know, but I mean, they're making all the right moves. They're doing all the right things. You know, they're growing really fast. People seem to love their product. Yeah. Uh, they're tying up with the right partners. I mean, really great, great story. I mean, with Atlassian, probably one of the two new breed globally dominant yeah. players out of Australia. We've, we've done some good things with mining and some banks and some. You know, CSL, of course, has been fantastic. News Corp, arguably, gone from an Australian newspaper around the world. But probably in the last 10 years, Atlassian and Afterpay are probably the two big ones, I think. Yeah, I think so. Like, And, and you know, I think there's as a, as a, you know, there are a couple of things about Afterpay. They're, you know, their slide decks that they produce, the presentations that they give, it's yeah. really, really... Um, Top notch, like nice. that, that, those, the, you know. That's that's. I think there's something there For, from an Australian business point of view. I think they are, uh, they, they, in my view, right now, they're yeah. the poster child of what, you know, budding entrepreneurs probably want to be, right? Nice. And I think that, that's great. Nice, I like it. Mate, let's move on. We're going to talk. There's a bit, a bit of tech this week. Let's get on to well, tech slash fashion. At least if you want to call shorts fashion. So I did there. So if shorts and shorts and. <laughs> Shorts, fashion, tech. This like is it? like this is like um, I don't know. This is a cluster of words. Stand by. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, mate. So the shorts are back. Not no, not the not the uh, the stubbies. Not not the uh, not the uh, board shorts. The short sellers are back, and this time. 
they have another company in their sites. Technology One is the latest one to have been pulled up by the uh, arbiters of these things. Our regular listeners know I don't have a lot of time for short sellers. I don't think you do either, mate, from uh, some of your recent experience, previous experiences. And yet they still continue to be around. They're a legitimate part of the market for as long as they remain legal to do that. Uh, and they are sometimes making some money, sometimes not. They're certainly making waves. Technology One, what is their issue? So actually, let's, go, let's step back a bit. Technology One's a business that some may have heard of, most probably haven't, largely providing kind of integrated software for government and government-like organizations, right? So that's kind of their, that's kind of their niche in Australia and I think around the world increasingly too. So been around for a while, grown kind of steadily, um, probably pre-Afterpay, pre-Zero, pre-kind of the kind of recent tech. They're one of the big tech success stories, I think, as much as we had them in kind of version 1.0. It seems to have come a cropper, at least according to some short sellers. Yeah, so so Tech tech One or Technology One basically provides um, uh, services and a lot of software as a service, mm. um, you know, or software as a service, basically yes. SaaS software. Yes, yes. Um, a lot to local governments and you know regional governments and you know things like that so regional governments state governments and so it's, it's it's really a player in that in fields and if you if you go to um um a local government yeah. uh, council they might be using a technology one software so it's you know tends to be pretty sticky and things like that um it's relatively unknown. a 2.7 billion dollar company still relatively unknown by most people it's flying a little bit under the radar for a little while yeah like i mean you would, right? I mean, if you're not, if you're providing some sort of software that is not really to huge enterprise customers yeah, right. and you're not serving, <laughs> I mean, if you're not zero, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're not yep. serving consumers yep. and or if you're not like, you know, I don't know, a SAP <laughs> yep. that is yep, serving yep, yep. huge, you know, customers, you're not yep. likely to be known. So, I mean, it's Shares up tenfold in 10 years though. It's a, been a good decade for technology one shareholders. Yeah. So, um, I think the allegation here is uh, about uh, revenue, right? And in terms of revenue recognition, and uh, the claim I think is that they are uh, inflate inflating that, right? So this goes to you know again things that aren't accounting, mm. and um, so so I think what must what has happened is this company. Um, moved from largely being a services company to a SaaS company or right. a SaaS model of, of providing its services. And I think it restated some of its financials based on that. Okay. And, you know, so if you're a SaaS company and you have a contract and you got a lump sum, you know, it's basically going to recognize the revenue weightably over time. Yeah. Right. And there's, I think, some flex in how you're going <laughs> to recognize. Flex, I like that. that you are, there's always some flex, there right? Some I mean, flex, yes. in reality, it's like this, right? So suppose yep. I, I, like, I mean, to be, I'll abstract out. Suppose <laughs> I, I, I do a, I do a deal of three hundred thousand dollars a year. Yep. And and it's a three year deal, uh, so that's nine hundred thousand dollars. Now, uh, there might be instances where uh, people might actually pay all of that 900000 up front. Right. Right. And, and now, now there's some flex here as to how it's going to be recognized, oh, right? Dear. I mean, you know, you could recognize all of it <laughs> up front, I guess, if you wanted to. <laughs> Although ideally you should recognize it over a period of your service. There might also be, again, depending upon the accounting rules applied, there might be things like, okay, you're going to recognize a portion of it up front and the rest of it ratably <laughs> uh, and this sort of thing. And they say accounting is black and white. Yeah, well, yeah. Like, I mean, you know, who, uh, you know, I would have never thought or dreamed that uh, <laughs> accounting was simpler when it was only licenses and services. <laughs> there's less room. Yes, now. that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, now there's more room for different interpretations. So, 
Um, is this something to worry about? I don't know. I've not looked at it that carefully yeah. uh, to have a view. But yeah, the shorts are, are claiming something um, about, you know, basically yeah. they're claiming that revenue has been pulled forward, which makes uh, the current year look good. I mean, yeah. ulti- ultimately, yeah. you can only pull forward revenue You've, if you've got so many dollars, yep. you can only pull forward those many dollars, right? Eventually, yeah, it's got to right, exactly. It's got to catch up I with you, cash you can count. right? Yeah, yeah. And, and if yep. you can keep pulling forward every year, yep. well, then in my mind, it's not really a problem because you're, right, right. you're because you're having the revenue coming in. At, at you, best, you're pulling forward sales by a, a year or two. Yeah, and, and if you can, be you by two, but if they keep growing, then you're okay. Yeah, and if you can keep doing that forever. Well, then maybe it's not a problem. So I don't know. Now, I kind of hope this company had a P of 45 or so, maybe even 50 before this happened. It's a pretty, I'll be cynical for a second. It's a pretty good target if you're a short seller, right? You find a company that's in tech, so yeah. it's, it's kind of got fast money behind it. Maybe it's got shareholders, frankly, who shouldn't be there, who can be scared easily. You've got a high PE, so there's plenty of room for the share price to fall. You've got a an accounting policy that you can make some, you can cause some potential um uh, waves about you can you can you can cast some you can cast some aspersions. Um, it, if I was going to be cynical, you know, if, if we if we were bad guys and we kind of you know put the put the dark capes on and went you know went to the dark side for a second, it's kind of the sort of business you target, right? If you thought you could make some make some money, there's no point targeting the industrial conglomerate on a PE of eight. Um, now maybe they're less likely to be doing anything that's questionable. That's also possible, but gee, it's pretty easy to to, to find a target in as I said high price tech. High fly out, you know, with, with something unusual. Whether it's wise text acquisitions, whether it's um, you know technology ones, revenue recognition, it's uh, I said, maybe they're doing God's work, and maybe they're saving investors from a lot, or maybe it's a really really easy target that's kind of just easy to exploit. Yeah, I think I agree with that. So the high PE is definitely a flag. So like, I mean, if if somebody's a short seller, they would, they could run a screen, uh, run a screen for say technology is hot, run yeah. a screen on technology, look at sales growth. I mean, sales growth of this company has been modest not yeah, great right yeah, yeah. um and and you know if you're claiming that sales have been brought forward then <laughs> if you're getting sales growth 10 percent, and that is with br- bringing things forward then you've got a problem <laughs> exactly. um and, and then i think a lot of sh- sh- you know short sellers tend to uh focus a lot on 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 the balance sheet and things like that right yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing that a lot of people would look at is just how much is the how much is the free cash flow yeah right and to your point, that, that is the number, right? Cash is cash is cash. To yeah. Least, unless there's something really, really dodgy going on in a company. Yeah. They, they can only, you can only recognize whatever cash you get, as you said. Yeah. So, so I mean, it, I, think that, I think that's where some yellow flags might, might you know, you have a $2 billion company, uh, which is, you know, which has a PE, which means it's profitable. Yeah. Uh, but profit's really, I mean, profit is in many ways sometimes an accounting gimmick. It really is. Um, <laughs> so, and, and if you're looking at, you know, talk about statutory profit, it's oh, even bigger yeah. accounting gimmick. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's a $2 billion company, but the question really is how much cash flow does it generate? And uh, you know, uh, my cursory look looking at you know Cap IQ mm. was well, the cash flow is modest. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, those that makes it a, a good candidate right, right, right. for uh, a short report uh, because right? there's something there, or because there might be nothing there, but well, you can no, tell. Right? Yeah, there's not, there hasn't been nothing there. It's just right, that you right, can make right. up, you can tell a story, right, right, right that well, the cash flow is this, and yep, yep. you know, uh, the PE is that, and we think this is happening. So I mean, again, I don't know much about the company. I just had a brief look because yeah. the news caught my eye, um, but yeah, like I mean, those you know, it, it fits the it takes many of those boxes. Now, for the cynics who are listening and saying, well, the same can be done with any company on the bullish side, on the on the long side. You could you could make up any sort of, you know, plausible story and 
push half paid or hundred dollars a share or push zero to a million dollars a share or Amazon or pick your pick your company. I own shares in Amazon as do you. Um, you, you know, the the my issue with shorting is not so much the fact that that there are different incentives or the same incentives on both the long and the shorts. It's the size of the problem that it creates when it happens. Right, fear is just phenomenally larger in its impact than a similar amount of greed. We see, a, you know, a bull case coming out for a company shares go up half a percent. The shorts come out and shares drop 30%. There was just, there was just a, there's an outsized asymmetric outcome between those two scenarios. And I think that's, for me, you know, I, I don't think we should be able to, we should be excluding negative views on companies at all. I just think to some degree when, when the short sellers get involved and they, those reports are long and, and high in, you know, um, long, high and deep in, in fear and mistrust and concern, sometimes it's Enron. Sometimes it's Enron. Other times it's not. And I think that's, to my mind, the, the, the concern the dislocation created seems outsized to me um, compared to what the capital markets are supposed to be there for. Yeah, I mean, there's there's an Enron, there's Wirecard, and you know that. So the, yeah, I, right. mean, I mean, the, I mean, the shorts when uh, when they're doing you know their detective work, they actually find lots of different things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I'm largely with you. Like, I mean, the issue with shorting that I really have yep. is is the is the model of operation. Yeah. Right. Because the yeah, right. the short sell s- seller, um, you know, typically will be first borrowing the shares, then selling the shares in the market, and you know, and then basically they are short, and yep. it's in their yep. interest for the shares to go down rather yes. rapid, rapidly yes. and quickly, yes, and uh, so that they can actually buy back those shares and return it to those people they borrowed it from, mm-hmm. right? So it's the modus operandi. Like I mean, I would have no issues with somebody. Um, coming out a negative report. So let's say, you know, you want to come out a negative report, yep. you know, just say technology one is a sell. Yep, yep, yep. But if along with that short selling was not allowed, yep. perfectly fine. Yeah. You know, come up and say, you know, technology one has this problem, that problem, and let the other people, I mean, the market has got two mechanisms, right? You can buy the shares and sell the shares. Yes. Right? Um, but this is really like, I mean, what short selling really does, it creates, I mean, this is, this is very interesting, right? It creates effectively two owners of the same stock. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's stock has supposed to have one owner. Yeah, yeah. Right? But effectively, you've got two owners right now, yeah. right? Yeah. Because you, you, you sold the short, you know, you, you borrowed the shares yeah. from someone. So I borrowed yeah. the shares from you. You're effectively the owner. Yes. Right? I've taken the shares and sold it to your friend Bob. Yeah, right, right. Now the Bob and you <laughs> both own the shares. I mean, right. if yeah, effectively, yeah. Yeah, there are right. two people now owning the same on piece the of share. Yeah, that's right. On the that's hook. Right. Yeah. Right? And, and therefore, you know. You're I, on the hook for making up the And difference. I have to now find that share. Yeah, that's right. So that's this this creates all sorts of perverse and uh, yeah, yeah. weird incentives in the market, right? And and then then the other thing that matters is float, right? If a company has got you know small float or mm-hmm. there are some issues with the float, this yeah. can have huge ramifications. So in in my mind, I mean, uh, I really don't like. I have no problems with the short report. I do have problems with the fact that basically shorting creates two 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 shareholders of the same piece of share, <laughs> and and that just defies logic. Doesn't do, doesn't do. Let's move on, mate. Although let's not move too much further because we're going to stay with tech just for a second. I saw a really interesting article out on the New York Times of all things. I, I don't read the Times generally speaking, but I saw the link to it because it got what caught my eye was the headline, and the headline simply says this. Well, I say simply, it's a simple headline, but it has a, potentially a big implication. Buying tech stocks is the most crowded trade in history. That's no small that's no small point to make. I mean, you know, again, headline writers they they kind of do a decent line in hyperbole. So let's 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 give them that at least a little bit. But to your point about, you know, the impact on on um, 
on investors and, and the way these things are, are taken and dealt with. The most crowded trade in history. Let me let me explain the, the detail. I'm quoting just from the article here. For the past 25 years, Bank of America has surveyed fund managers about how they are positioning their portfolios. In its latest survey, uh, which polled investors managing around $600 billion in assets, these are big guys, nearly three-quarters of fund managers agreed that holding big US tech stocks was the most crowded trade in the market. Not only that, the Times article goes on to say, it was the survey's strongest ever consensus, leading the bank to dub buying tech stocks the longest long of all time. And the paper goes on to say, for contrarians, that's a sign that it's time to sell. It's kind of a, it instinctively makes some degree of directional sense, mate. The the gains in tech in the US, the ability of the NASDAQ to seem to retain and then go further you know, when, when the rest of the market's falling, um, some of the price movements, some of the, you know, uh, there was one day, I think it must be early this week, when Apple, Amazon, Google, and something else all hit all-time highs on the same day. Um, that, you know, I mean, look, they're all they're all successful, good quality companies doing the right thing. But when those three all hit highs on the same day, it is a little bit tempting to look at that report and go, it kind of smells about right. There is something about everyone, you've said before, everyone, everyone believing the same thing at the same time. Are you with the are you with the tech bulls or are you with the contrarians that maybe this is a time to if not sell at least rethink the sort of valuations we're saying? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. So I'm going to uh, answer it differently. Um, <laughs> nice. I'm going to say that um, for all those people who say this, have they ever gone and looked at how much free cash flow uh, does a company like Microsoft generate? Right. I'm going to challenge people. I'm going to assume they have. I, I'm going to say that if you if you if you manage six hundred billion dollars US of assets. I'm going to assume you should know that. Yeah, you should know that, right? So, I mean, a, a company like um, uh, Microsoft would generate close to $40 billion. A lot of money. Uh, of um, free cash flow. Right. Uh, here's another challenge I'll throw. Okay, take the biggest company on the ASX, uh, CSL, and it would probably generate $200 million of free cash flow at best. Right. On average, maybe $500 million of free cash flow at best, right? In history, there have never been companies like this yeah. ever. We generate this kind of... Of free cash flow, yep. and in the equities market, if you leave out these guys, the you know, so Apple generates probably about sixty billion, right. fifty-five, sixty billion. These guys generate about thirty-six, thirty-seven, forty billion. You know, Google in the same probably ballpark. Which company generates free cash flow like this? Which companies actually? I mean, that is the real deal, right? right. I mean, if but there's the, a price, it, right? I mean, they're, they're not saying these companies are going to go broke or they're not worth owning. They're simply saying that everybody currently wants to either does or, or wants to own these shares, and there is a dislocation between the, the sensational performance of these businesses. I don't think anyone's arguing that. They're simply saying when everyone owns it, and everyone wants to buy it. That's when prices tend to get out of control, right? That's the point at which you're saying if everyone's rushing to one side of the bus or one side of the ferry, maybe it's going to tip over. Yeah, so I mean, here's the thing. So if we if we if uh, so if we think about valuations, right? And if I think about um, the valuation of say something like Microsoft, let's say you know it's probably trading at thirty times, forty times free cash flow. Okay, that feels expensive on raw numbers to most people. But how much would then CSL be in free cash flow? Two hundred times. Uh, no, it's, uh, okay, but in absolute terms, this is not the, these fundamentals aren't saying you should buy Australia instead of that, or you should no, buy anything no, else instead of that. just I'm using CSL as an example, sure. But the, I am pretty certain that if you put these companies aside, yeah. everything else on on a cash generative basis is probably yeah. very expensive. So I mean, even in the US, so to, I mean, I take your point about the ASX, and let's let's assume that's made and move, moved on. 
they're, they're kind of implying that these are overvalued relative to what price they might be in future. You know, the, the idea that A, it's the longest long trade and as, as the article says, for contrarians, that's a sign to sell. They're not selling because relatively speaking, valuations are higher or lower. They're, they're kind of saying they'd sell because they think valuations are simply, or share prices, sorry, not valuations, share prices are simply too high and they're, they're likely to fall in future is the implication. Yeah, so I think I think I would dissociate in the in that gang between things like say Netflix, for example, which you right. don't have that kind of free cash flow, is you know, negative free cash flow. Right. So just put that aside. I think... In fact, if you think about the you know the Facebook and the Googles and the Apples yep. and the Microsofts, uh, Amazon to a less degree because yep. its free cash flow bounces around quite a bit, those guys are consistent cash generators. Yeah. There's nothing that has impaired their business. Right. And uh, I mean, all the other guys that you look at, I mean, what what do you want to own? You want to own Disney? Be my friend, be my guest. I mean, the price is down. <laughs> yeah. You you can go and own the mouse, but the mouse right. is not generating free cash flow. Yeah, right. So I mean, the price has gone up. I think in my mind, price has gone up for a good reason. I mean, everything else that you look at, yeah. relatively speaking. I mean, I I've, I get the sentiment that tech maybe is overbrought. I get that. And if that's true, that, and that's what, again, I think that's important, right? So it's not they're not saying the businesses are bad or they're not generating more or less cash than Disney. You're even growing faster. Just that there is a price for everything. And right now, if everybody's buying it. There's a decent chance that even, even no matter how good these businesses are, maybe the price is still too high. Yeah, so I mean that argument I think applies to those guys who are not generating that kind of free cash flow right. or they're not growing that fast or they don't have you know, um, that kind of future. I think that maybe argument applies um, to that side yeah. of the business. I, I mean I, I think of the, of the big tech, what I find really difficult is that big tech mostly is supremely well positioned to continue to do well right right i mean there's just you know it's very difficult to imagine a world where apple is not there yeah like yeah. i mean you know it's you know and it's very yeah, difficult it's to imagine yeah, a world yeah, where yeah. there is google, no google right? Right, right some of these these businesses are ingrained and they might not grow that fast but you know their cash flows are not going to go away anywhere they're just, yeah, right. just going to be cash generating monsters right, right? um so how much do you want to pay for it? Sure, you know, you can decide whether this is, you know, 30 times or 40 times or whatever it is, yeah. is too much. But I mean, on the other hand, you can go and buy a Disney probably at 100 times uh, or maybe right now it has negative free cash flow because, you know, its parks are closed, that's right? Tough business uh, to so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, that's the difference, I yep. think. Um, across the board, if you look at businesses, there are businesses that are not immune to various economic cycles. Yeah. Then there are businesses which are basically so ingrained that they're, you know, if anything is immune to economic cycles, is these guys because yeah, they, you yeah. know basically these are like bread and butter. You need them, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so I think you know. Again, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm not a huge fan of, for example, Facebook, but you know, I, 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 even I look at it and I say, well, you know. Jeez, I mean, this type of cash flow, like, I mean, you know, I wish I had a business right, that did right, right. that. I mean, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. what it is. I mean, so, well. so there's a reason I think there's a lot of money. Now, does that, typically there's, you know, in the US, they're like calling it rotation of stocks yes. from this sector to that sector. Does it mean that there's going to be rotation? Well, you know, if all of the fund managers believe that uh, this is overhyped, then there's going to be rotation and they're right, going to rotate right. out and buy the Disney. Almost and, by definition, right? Yeah, and I yeah. mean, maybe that some of that was happening overnight because, you know, 
As I, as I was mentioning to you before we started recording, you know, every time there's a, a vaccine news, uh, there is there is a day of rotation when people go back. Well, oh, vaccine is going to come. All of you know, there's a vaccine news, and all of a sudden, everything is going to be fine. Everyone's buying and the cruise ship companies again. Well, everybody's buying cruise ship and airlines, <laughs> and then the next day they're selling it because oh, because the next day the airline company announces I'm going to lay off twenty five thousand people. Or there is like you know, Alan Joyce uh, who's going to come out and say, well, I'm not going to fly in international flights until whatever like March or April yeah. or May, right? Yeah. And, and that gets flashed on, you know, when Qantas's news gets flashed on, you know, there's a, this huge Qantas A380 on Wall Street Journal uh, yeah. showing up right up front saying no international flights until this. Like, I mean, yeah. uh, <laughs> so, I mean, that's the thing, right? I mean, you know, uh, Alan moves the market that day for the airline guys and goes down 8%. So, I, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't feel that the big tech is overvalued um, yeah. personally. Um, and... You know, I don't own all of them. I own Apple and Amazon, but um, I don't think big tech is overvalued. I think big tech is generates a lot of cash, and anybody who's thinking like long term is is probably okay. I mean, there's That's a lot a mar- of mar- those five as a group. Are they market beaters from here? Do you think? I mean, that the the inference from the the article from the fund managers is it's not going to beat the market because a they're already overbought, and b maybe there is that rotation you talk about. That would suggest if it happens that they'll underperform. Are you taking the opposite perspective on that one? Yeah, so the, those fund managers, they you know they are thinking what's going to happen next quarter. Um, you know, th- those fund managers right, right. are very quarterly focused or half yearly focused very if, much at are. best. <laughs> um, uh, I I don't know. Like I mean, year to date, I mean, uh, have to quickly look up. But I mean, year to date, I would assume. I mean, here's here's the other thing they might be doing, right? Um, year to date, the share price of Apple is probably up for two years in a normal market case. I mean, so if that is the right. uh, scenario, I mean, you, you sell, I mean, if that's what you're doing, you sell Apple and you buy something else. Right. Um, I don't know, it's probably up, uh, how much? It's up, well, more than 25% or something like that. I mean... It's up, it's up doubled in the last year, put it that way. Yeah, so it's doubled in the last year, right? So, I mean, you, if you are a fund manager, you yep. sell that and you buy beaten down Disney. Right. And right. and maybe that delivers you better better results. So, right. I mean, yeah, possible. Um I, I like, um, you know, I'm going to continue to hold my Apple shares. I think, you know, there's, there's going to be a 5G um, uh, tailwind and a lot of other things that's going to happen. The day you see your Apple shares, I'm going to go and buy bake bands and shotguns and hide in a cave, I think. That when, when, that, when that finally comes, when you finally part ways with Apple, that's when I start getting scared. Well, at some point, <laughs> I, I mean, at some point, I might, I, might, I might think that I need to trim some Apple or something like that. Right, I've never right. trimmed Apple. I've always added to Apple on, right, right. on, on, on pullbacks. Uh, it has... You know, again, were there better stocks? If there was a pullback, I should have bought uh, more Amazon probably <laughs> in, instead. Uh, but again, Amazon is another stock that I have never sold, right? I mean, yep. um, I've added at various points in time. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a long, as a long-term thesis, without thinking about what's happening three months or six months, or even a year, yep. I just think that the big tech as a basket, yep. they're fantastic, yep. right? And even I would say that even for a company like Google, uh, well, which you know I have it issues hurts, with, I know, it and, and I would even see that for a company like Facebook, which <laughs> I have lots of issues with at a personal level, not as a company. I mean, I mean yeah. as businesses, those are fantastic businesses. Like I mean, um, yeah, they are. Oh, by definition, and, the, and those numbers, the cash flow numbers you talk about, and that's that's like you know, there is always. And we, we've already made the point a couple of times this podcast, which is really important that you got to separate out the share price movement from the fundamentals of the business. It doesn't mean every business is a buyer at any price, and it doesn't mean any business is a seller at any price. But you need to look at them separately, and there, there yeah. is, you know, it, it's. I, I think I share your view, mate. I, I, I think, the, the, look, the valuations are not cheap for these businesses. By the same token, as you say, it's hard to imagine them as a group not being meaningfully larger and more successful in five years than they are today. And yeah. I think if that's your view, 
And by the way, good luck trying to pick, you know, one month, three months, six month price movements because, you know, maybe they fall, maybe they don't. Maybe they go up 20% before they fall 10%, in which case you would have been better to hold on. So trying to, trying to do that, so it, it seems smart as always. These things seem smart to do when clever and intelligent and fund managers get paid a lot of money to, in theory, beat the market, but most of them don't. So <laughs> there's something about that that says maybe they're not quite uh, as worth listening to as, as perhaps this article inferred. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I think so. Like, I mean, um, yeah, here, here's the thing, right? I mean, so let's use Microsoft as an example. It, you're paying like, you know, tra- it's trailing earnings multiple PE mm. is 35. Right. We just talked about technology one and you said what is 40? 45. Yeah. 45. Yeah. Yep. Doesn't that answer your question automatically? I mean, you know, oh. you want that 45, Microsoft is at 35. See, I was agree with you until that point, man. I think it's possible for both of you overvalued. I don't think if if you if it's a pairs trade, I completely agree with you. Yeah, so but I don't think you know the choice isn't isn't Microsoft or technology one, right? There's another 4,000 companies out there we could buy, some of which in theory might be better than both. Sure thing, but I think like you know, if if you're looking at the technology sector, I yep. would almost certainly say that a vast majority yep. would have of over 100 <laughs> right if they have a PE yeah, 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 yeah. if they have a PE if they have, at all, if exactly. they have any earnings <laughs> it's going to be a PE of 100 yeah. right sometimes yeah. it could be even a PE of 1000 yeah, right, right? Yeah. so I mean it's it's that right yeah, I mean yeah. so if you want to invest in technology stocks I mean I don't know like I mean your universe yeah. is if it doesn't include Microsoft, I don't know what it includes. I mean, if if you're a global yep, manager yep, and you're yep. looking at all these stocks, I yep. mean, I don't know. Yes, I agree that you could buy you could buy a low PE stock today. Right. You could you could make the bet that I'm going to buy um, or, even, or even a tier two tech stock. I mean, that's all my point is just there's, there's other options. We don't have to necessarily say CSL or Apple or Technology One or Microsoft. There's there's a million other choices out there. You, the sure thing, but I mean, again, as I said, like I mean, why would I buy a tier two business? Like I mean, if I'm buying a tier two business, I'm automatically taking like I mean, you could buy a tier two business. I'm sorry, I mean, sorry, I mean low quality business, so not one of the top five in terms of market cap, just just on, on size alone, right? So you like plenty of tech stocks that aren't those yeah. five, that's all I'm saying. So, so yeah, I like plenty of tech stocks that are not in those top five, but you know, for them, you know, I'm looking at like growth rates that are significantly higher and things like that, right? Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I like those tech stocks, these big tech stocks. Even, even and, I don't know, and, I, and, and I don't own Microsoft and I, right, I just right. use Microsoft as an example. I should um, say, I'll, I'll just pull up there quickly just because we talked about so much stuff. I own Alphabet, Amazon, and I own Disney, you mentioned before as well. So let me let me put that on the record. Um, you've already declared your ownership, I think, for those companies. Neither of us own Facebook yet, maybe. I don't own Facebook. I used to own Facebook. You're going to buy it again soon? Would you, would you be more likely to get an Instagram if you own Facebook shares? That's the question I want to have answered here right now. Is that, is that our way to get you on back on Instagram? Is to get you buy Facebook shares and get you back in the ecosystem? Does that work? So, no. Like, I mean, my, my problem, with, my problem with Facebook is very simple. Like, uh, I, I think, I think you know the company has fantastic services, fantastic yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, free cash flow, fantastic opportunity. Yeah. I just have a problem with their uh, their approach to privacy. Right. And. Therefore, I don't own it. I mean, uh, if I was as a, as a moral view, or because you think then the financial going to suffer at some point when someone calls like, them on you it. You know, like you know, f- you own this company. You have to, you mm. know, read something about it, learn something about it, be, be happy. Or like for me to own a company, I I need to feel interested in that company oh, okay. from, yeah, right. from a like yeah. as you, as you exactly yeah, yeah. said. Like yeah. you know, there there are. 2,000 companies on the ASX, right, right. probably 5,000 companies on the US, <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. another 10,000 elsewhere, right? right? If I can buy all of these, like, I mean, I have to be kind of interested in it, right? Okay. Fa- Facebook. She kind of turns you off, so you don't want to. It kind of turns me off. Yeah, like, okay. it just, 
you know, sometimes pisses me off. <laughs> so so, so I I'd rather I I'd rather like not own it. Fully acknowledging that you know it, it can be a market-beating stock. In fact, you know, if I was if I had to you know if I had to run the newsletter and or make a recommendation and, yep. and it was for large cap tech stocks and well, I would without hesitation probably right, right. Uh, again you know i'm going to caveat this in many different <laughs> ways you know you uh, say it's possible it's a possible you know, right, i would not right. rule it out as a yeah, recommendation just yeah. like you know like for example i've got a service sense. in which um i've got google as a recommendation i don't yeah. personally own google yeah. and uh but i would not hesitate to recommend that stock largely because well you know it's a fantastic well, we business. Well, if it's yeah. a fantastic yeah. business, what can I do? I might yeah. I disagree with some things, but the world doesn't agree with me. Uh, right. So, right. I mean, and I'm not the prime minister of the world. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what can I do? The world would be a better place if you agree with me more, Doc, is all I'm saying. Well, at least I can disagree with you. <laughs> you do it well. You do it well, as yeah. our listeners well know. Mate, I reckon we're pretty much done. Do you reckon we should come back on Sunday for a mailbag? Oh, is that a secret anymore? Like, I mean, no, we should, really. this is like a question. I think we should just drop this. <laughs> this there's no room for it this question. It keeps me entertained. It me entertained. Just got to find something else. Drop it. All right, fine. Hey, but speaking of which, before we go, we want your questions for, well, not for that mailbag episode because it'll be recorded by the time you hear this, but for future mailbag episodes. And we also like chatting with you guys on social media. So Doc isn't there, but The Motley Fool is there and I'm there on Facebook. If you're a Facebook user and you want to comment, jump, drop us a direct mail. The Motley Fool Australia, surprise, surprise, is our Motley Fool Facebook account. And I'm Scott Phillips Money. You can find us both on Facebook there. If you want to use, we'll stay with the Facebook's uh, Evil Empire doc for a minute. If you're on Instagram, at The Motley Fool AU is our corporate Twitter, uh, Instagram handle, I should say. And at TMF, that's The Motley Fool, at TMF Scott P is mine. And Twitter, you can find Doc on Twitter. You couldn't have this morning, we're recording this on Thursday. And did you see the hacking news, Doc? This morning. Oh, there's been so many hacking It's news, unusual you know. that Warren Buffett and Daniel Musk have something in common. It turns out they both got hacked by, on Twitter this morning. So there you go. Among many, many other people, including Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli Prime Minister, and heaps of others besides Apple even. Apple's corporate account got done. Um, so that being said, it's all back now, which is good news. I couldn't tweet for a while this morning. I was very disappointed. Um, hit me up at TMF Scott P. Hit Doc up at Anirban Mahanti. Or hit us up on the corporate account at The Motley Fool AU. Leave us your questions. Leave us your comments. We get most of our questions that way. And if you do want to, you can email us, info at fool.com.au. And our wonderful member services team will make sure the question gets into our inbox and gets onto a special mailbag episode like this Sunday's. Until then, Doc, don't forget, you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes, your favorite Android podcast app, or the dedicated Podcast One app. We are part of that family these days. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating, leave us a review, tell your friends, spread the foolish love because, hey, doesn't the world need a little more foolish love? I'm pretty sure it does. Of course, you also can get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox by going to, here we go, fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back on Sunday with another dose of foolish insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.